Our first Bible reading today is from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, beginning at verse 36, in which Jesus appears to the disciples. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And our second reading, it's Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we're then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. And since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susan. So I've been asked to preach on the subject of, of heavenly bodies. Yes, you've got the B team this morning, I'm afraid. So, <laughs> Not the perfect beach body I'd hoped for. <laughs> It's great looking at this series about resurrection, isn't it? I wonder how much time you think about the future. Maybe you're thinking about the future right now. 
uh, what you've got for Sunday lunch or what you're doing next week. I know a few of us are due to retire in the summer, so we might be thinking about that. I've got 45 more days of working life left. I'm not counting, but 45 more days left. It's difficult to stop thinking about the future, isn't it? But sometimes we want to, to think about the future after death. It's important, isn't it? Because our future is where our hopes and dreams lie. And if we're honest, quite a lot of our anxieties as well. So because I'm about to retire, I've been looking at the teacher's pension website recently, as you do. And really interestingly, it's got a tab on there that says, what happens when you die? I thought, fantastic, all the answers. (laughs) I'll click on that one. (laughs) It was rubbish, absolutely rubbish. told me nothing about what would happen when I die, apart from my money goes to Jackie. (laughs) Jackie was very happy with it. I I was a bit disappointed. As Christians, we know that we have eternal life, don't we? We're going to be with Christ in heaven or on a new earth for eternity. But if we're honest, we'd like to know a bit more of the details, if possible. We'd like to know the answer to the question, what what will it be like? What will our resurrection bodies be like? And really, there's only one place we can go to answer that question. Yes, some people have had near-death experiences, but a near-death experience is not the same as actual death. Some people have died and been resuscitated, like Lazarus. But again, that's not a resurrection body, is it? Lazarus died again. There's only one person who has died and risen and been given his resurrection body. And it's not Elvis, it's Jesus. Jesus is the only person we can turn to in history to look at what a resurrection body might be like. So before our first reading, the women have gone to the tomb and they found the tomb empty. The body is no longer there. They're amazed and they run off and tell Peter and John and they run to the tomb to confirm what women have said. Jesus then appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him immediately and it's only at the end of the day when he breaks bread that they realize that this is Jesus. And then those disciples rush back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. And that's where our first passage this morning starts. They're in a room together And Jesus appears in front of them and he says, peace be with you. It doesn't have the effect that he probably wanted. The effect is that they're completely terrified. Peace is the last thing that they experience when they see the risen Jesus in front of them. He has told them that he will rise from the dead. And he goes through the scriptures to explain it was there throughout scriptures. You should have known this was going to happen. But they weren't expecting a physical, resurrected Jesus. The best explanation they can come up with is that this must be a ghost of some sort. Jesus then spends quite a long time trying to disprove that he is a ghost, that he is a real person with a real body. He says, look at me. Look at me, I've got flesh and blood. And he certainly looks like a real person. He then invites them to touch him. Touch me, I've got flesh and bones. He then takes a piece of fish and eats it. This is no ghost. This is Jesus who has been bodily resurrected. The tomb is empty and he is here with them physically. It's quite an amazing thought, isn't it? It's not just a spiritual disembodied resurrection. 
It's a physical, embodied resurrection. As we think about our bodies, I wonder how you feel. How do you feel about your body? Some of you might be delighted with your body. You might think it's fantastic. I'm not judging, but I suspect it's not many of you. (laughs) Harsh. Most of us, including myself, (laughs) are at least disappointed and discouraged by our bodies at certain times. They fail us, don't they? They're not perfect. Some of you might think you've got completely the wrong body entirely. Most of us have conflicted views about our own body. We know that our bodies are intrinsic to who we are, but we're not fully comfortable in our own bodies. Even my body, I would like to be slightly different. We're not perfect, but all of us would like to be slightly more perfect. I'd like more hair on my head, believe it or not. (laughs) More on my head than growing out of my ears. Anyway, that would be good. (laughs) I'd like both of my eyes to work properly. I've had too many operations on my eyes, so I'm looking forward to having perfect eyes in heaven. I'd like both of my kidneys to be in the right place. Don't ask where one of them is. (laughs) But it took the nurse a very long time to find both of my kidneys. At one point, she did actually ask me, are you sure you haven't had a transplant? (laughs) You begin to doubt yourself. Perhaps I have. (laughs) I hadn't had a transplant. She found it eventually in a strange place. Apparently, I'm one in a thousand. Who knew? One in a million. Thank you, Bobby. At least. At least. (laughs) None of us is perfect. And as I said, we'd like to be a bit more perfect if possible. The ageing process doesn't help either, does it? As we age, things begin to sag and droop and not function properly. It's not great, is it? We spend a fortune on cosmetics, or some of us spend a fortune on cosmetics, trying to stop the inevitable. And more and more of us are undergoing cosmetic surgery to try to stop or at least delay the ageing process. So some of you might recognise Ken and Barbie. They're quite an annoying couple, aren't they? (laughs) They're blonde, blue-eyed, good-looking and slim. They're really annoying. They've got the perfect beach bodies. Or at least they tend to epitomise what the body beautiful looks like to many people. And their popularity is still very high, even though there's been criticism about the image that they project to particularly young people people still buy these dolls. And I think that's a bit bizarre, really, because this is not the body beautiful. A doctor has done some analysis. He's analysed Barbie and said, how would she function if she was a real person? If she had a life-size body, what would she be like? Well, her neck would be twice as long as normal. It would be six inches thinner than most women's necks. And so she'd have difficulty raising her head. So you've got to droop her head down, first of all. She's got the equivalent of a 16-inch waist, which doesn't leave enough room for her intestines. (laughs) She'd have neither of her kidneys in the right place. (laughs) I've got one in the right place. Her wrists are so thin that she she couldn't lift heavy weights. And finally, her feet are so small and her body so top-heavy that in order to move, she'd have to crawl around on all fours. That's not a good look, is it? That is not the body beautiful. 
In our second passage, Paul is responding to some questions that the Corinthians have written, asking him about bodily resurrection. Now, I'm not quite sure why they've taken so long. Paul was with the Corinthians about 18 months, but anyway, they didn't ask him when he was with them. But now they've written to ask him, is it really true that our bodies are going to be resurrected? I think it had become quite a pressing issue for them. It was a pressing issue because that wasn't the view in Greek society at that time. For Greek society, the idea of going to heaven and taking your body was preposterous. The whole point of the afterlife was to leave your body behind. Your body was associated with pain and suffering and death. You don't want to take it with you. You want your spirit to escape your body so that you can live this free, transformed life. The idea of a resurrected body was just laughable to the Greeks. The idea that God should die on a cross was ridiculous, but the idea that he should then rise again with a body was equally ridiculous to the Greeks. And no doubt they were taunting and laughing at the Corinthian Christians. Why would you want to take a body with you to heaven? I wonder how you feel about that. Do you have some sympathy with that view? Do you just want to be rid of your body? I don't want to take this with me. I'll just have a spirit in heaven. And for most people, I think that they think of bodily resurrection is a bit ridiculous, really. For most people, they wouldn't believe in life after death anyway. But those who do would think that, well, part of us survives, but surely not our bodies. We don't want to take our bodies to heaven. But that's what the Bible's telling us. Even though we know that if we die, we're going to decompose or be cremated. Our ashes may be scattered. Those, we're going to have new bodies in heaven. The Corinthians were facing ridicule because of their belief. And I think we do at times as well, don't we? I don't know if you've read of a person called Ingersoll, who is an atheist who wrote scathing comments about Christians. I wouldn't recommend him at all. But one of the things he struggled with is is cannibalism. Now, I struggle with cannibalism, but for different reasons from Ingersoll. Ingersoll had the problem that, well, if a cannibal eats someone, who gets those atoms on the day of resurrection? (laughs) Is it the cannibal who's ingested them, or is it the person he's ingested? I don't know the answer to that. But I'm sure he was mocking, and I'm sure the Corinthians were also facing those sorts of mocking comments or criticisms. Paul addresses these questions, so he writes, Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come with? I'm sure that that was reflecting the questions that the Corinthians were facing. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul's response is emphatic. He says, how foolish. How foolish to ask such questions. I don't know about you, but I think it's quite a good question. So why is it foolish to ask, how will the dead rise? It's foolish because they were doubting the power of God. God can do anything. God reminds them that the God who's going to raise their bodies is the God who created everything out of nothing. Raising bodies, giving us new bodies, is not difficult for God. God is not limited by creation. Creation itself is dependent on God. 
Even from modern science, I think the idea of how we get new bodies and atoms is a bit preposterous. So science tells us, apparently, that all of our atoms are replaced every seven years. So if you've been married more than seven years, the person you're with is not the person you married. (laughs) I've been married 35 years, so I think I'm on my fifth Jackie now, which is... (laughs) Each one's better than the last. (laughs) It's not the atoms that define us. Our atoms change. Our bodies change, but we remain the same. And I think that's going to be true in the resurrection. It's not the atoms that will define us, but our essential souls and who we are. God will give us new bodies, I think, even if we decompose or are cremated. We believe in the resurrection of the body because Jesus rose bodily. He appeared to the disciples embodied. And it's not idle speculation, is it? It's based on historical fact. The disciples witnessed a risen Jesus in bodily form. Luke was a doctor himself. He didn't take it on just hearsay. He went and spoke to people. He tested the evidence to make sure it was true. And Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, if the Corinthians are doubting a bodily resurrection, he tells them to go and talk to the people who encountered Jesus, who encountered him with a physical body. We will one day receive new bodies, which is fantastic, isn't it? The old will be put aside. The new will come. It's fantastic, I think, that we will have new bodies in heaven. But the question is, what effect does that have on us today? How should that affect how we live our lives day to day now? And not surprisingly, I've got three ways in which I think it should affect how we live today. The first one is that Christ's resurrection body gives us great assurance And it invites us to a relationship with him. We don't worship a dead God. We worship a risen God. And Christ's bodily resurrection is central to our faith. Paul says to the Corinthians in our reading, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised bodily, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. Christ's resurrection isn't just a vindication of who Jesus was. It isn't God saying, see, he is God. He he is the Messiah. I've raised him from the dead. Christ's resurrection is proof that the victory has been won, that the debt for our sins has been paid. So the wages of sin is death. The only reason Jesus died on the cross is because he took our sin. He rose from the dead because that penalty, that wage has been paid. I was trying to think of an example, and it, it, the obvious example to me was it's like a person who served their sentence in prison. They've served their time in prison for a crime they committed. Once they've served their time, once they've served the penalty, they're released, they're set free. It would be bizarre, it would be unjust to keep them any longer. The debt has been paid. And they couldn't be tried again for the same crime and convicted twice. The debt has been paid to society. It would be bizarre if Jesus hadn't been resurrected. We wouldn't know that our sins had been paid for. It would have been disaster if he'd only been resuscitated and had to die again. We wouldn't know that our sins had been paid for. It's because he died and rose again that we can be assured that our sins have been 
paid for. The debt has been paid. We can now have a relationship with God because he died and rose again. He died for the whole world, but it's up to us individually by faith and repentance to come to him personally. And that's the first challenge, isn't it? That we need to come to him and say, sorry, I want to live my life following you, my Lord. The hope of the resurrection means that we can be with Christ now, today. The second way I think the resurrection body affects today is that it gives us courage to endure, doesn't it? We haven't yet been given our resurrected bodies. We still experience pain, suffering and death. We know that too well. And at times that can be unbearable. But we have that sure hope in front of us that one day we will be renewed. We will have new bodies that will no longer experience pain, suffering and death. We no longer have to despair of growing old. We no longer have to fear death itself. We have this fantastic hope that one day we will be raised to new life. And it's a certain hope because Christ has already been raised. I love this description. It's not in our passage. It's slightly after our passage. But Paul goes on to tell the Corinthians, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Four contrasts there, fantastic, that our new bodies are going to be imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. They're going to be perfectly suited to a life with God. But death is the way that we get there. Death is a precondition of resurrection. I listened to a sermon online, that that was the main theme, he kept repeating it. Death is a precondition of resurrection. We have to die to be resurrected. That's hard, but it's also a fantastic truth. After death, our bodies will be transformed. We'll no longer experience pain, suffering or death. They will be set aside by life itself. In that list, I think it's quite interesting that Paul doesn't say that we'll have beautiful bodies. I do wonder if you think that you will get the perfect body when you get to heaven. And you might think of the perfect body like Ken and Barbie. If you think you're going to get a body like Ken and Barbie, I think you might be disappointed. (laughs) Actually, you won't be disappointed. You'll be delighted with the body you get because you will have the perfect body for you. Our bodies would be much more beautiful than Ken and Barbie's or any particular image. Jesus was the most beautiful person who lived in history. And yet we're told that outwardly he had no beauty or majesty, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Even after his resurrection, Jesus bore the scars of the cross. He shows his disciples his hands and his feet. Why? Because that's where the scars were. The scars were for the disciples' faith, but they were also for the glory of God. And even his scars were beautiful. 
Don't believe the lie that beauty is skin deep. Beauty is not skin deep. It is much, much deeper than that. We are to be transformed from the inside out. That's why we'll be beautiful in heaven. We're not just going to have a makeover. It's not going to be plastic surgery and patched up. We're going to be completely transformed from the inside out. We will be truly beautiful people in heaven. The people God intended us to be. And yet we'll still recognize one another. It's fantastic. The hope of resurrection is there to help us to endure. Lastly, the fact that we're going to get resurrected bodies in heaven, I think, is a call to holiness. The Corinthians were beginning to doubt in the bodily resurrection because of what people around them were telling them. But I think it was also partly convenient for them as well. What they were saying is that what you do with your body doesn't matter. It's what you do with your spiritual life that's important. As long as you're yeah, worshipping God and you're close to God, then that's okay. You can do what you want with your body the rest of the week. Paul is having none of that. That's rubbish. There's no separation between the physical and the spiritual. And Paul gives a very down-to-earth example. The Corinthians seem to be saying it was okay to sleep with prostitutes because that was just a purely physical act. Paul says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. There's no such thing as the purely physical. Don't be deceived. God is interested in us as whole persons. We are whole persons, body, soul, mind and spirit. And that's why God gives us a resurrection body, because that's who we are. There's no division between the spiritual and the physical. And that's why we're called to become holy and to be holy today. Not just spiritually, but physically as well. In all that we do, in everything that we do, we're called to be holy. So just to summarize, Jesus was resurrected physically so that we can be assured of salvation and that we can come into a relationship with him. We will be resurrected physically in the future and so that gives us the hope to endure our present sufferings. And God is concerned about every aspect of our lives, including our bodies. And that's why he calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. One day we will be transformed. We will be perfect in the sight of Christ. That's a fantastic hope. And it's a hope that is to affect what we do this week. Amen.